You ask, we answer your immigration questions. Simple. And now your host, immigration lawyer, Jacob Soposhnik. Hello, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ask an Immigration Lawyer. I'm excited to introduce the next several episodes because we are actually using audio from our YouTube videos to share with a lot of the people that are not able to watch the videos every day. They prefer audio version to be on the go. So you, you can listen to it in the car or whatever you, you want to get the information from about our the immigration changes and the different topics we cover in, in those videos. So the next several episodes will have audio from our YouTube videos and also full transcripts with easy to find uh, section description of what you have in each episode. So hopefully you like this format. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, let's jump in right into this next episode. So enjoy. And we'll see you in our next episode. All right. So we are live again at the law, our law offices, talking about uh, immigration changes and uh, updates. And we'll wait a few seconds for everybody to come on. And uh, let's see here, just like that. But the premise of the show today is going to be um, you know, updates of the week, what happened in immigration, uh, some uh, key points that we, uh, we haven't covered uh, last time. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's always exciting in the immigration world, right? Yes. We're here. Uh, I'm Jacob, Jacob Sepashnik, and this is Marie Portolano, who is our managing attorney. And, uh, you know, every week we gather the most exciting uh, information and share with you. Uh, you can, what we're going to do is, um, uh, hi Mila, hi, hi Upi, um, we will, uh, you can, uh, as you join us live, you can post your questions in the comments and we'll answer them throughout the show, but we're going to start with some of the topics because I know you all want to know um, the most pressing and most important things that are happening in immigration. So, um, I just read that... Um, President Trump met with uh, uh, top CEOs of Fortune 500 companies yesterday, and um, they were, just had a, a dinner talking about different things. And they uh, um, they basically were pressing him on um, on immigration, and they were uh, asking him most of the the dinner about immigration, and they actually wanted him to uh, create a program that will allow skilled workers to be able to come here in a much better way. And Trump promised he's going to do an executive order following the dinner, but we don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. Uh, another important thing that happened was um, uh, the DACA announcement uh, by a judge beginning of the week that the DACA program will continue. And uh, But of course, there's something that's going to happen today in Texas that we may, may change that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's happening with DACA, Marie? So... If you remember last year, uh, Trump, I mean, his administration uh, canceled DACA completely. Uh, around January, uh, they canceled only, uh, well, they kept, they said, well, you cannot file a new DACA, but you can file extensions. So we were very happy about that. And we've been waiting for the Congress to um, get together and pass a law about DACA, which has not happened yet. So we have to rely on the court right now to get the law, uh, last week, a judge uh, gave 20 days 
to the administration to reinstate that DACA for uh, extension and for new application. Uh, however, I think right now, uh, today, this afternoon, uh, in Texas, they are hearing arguments for a case that's probably going to destroy DACA. Uh, I, it's Judge Hannan, and I don't expect him to um, not go against DACA. So it's going to be a very new, uh, also, a constitutional uh, challenge, because one judge is saying, I give you 20 days to bring back DACA, and another judge probably going to say today or this week, uh, destroy DACA, so it's going to be a very. It's going to be the first time there's a complete opposite. So maybe it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, but let's first wait that uh, to hear what the Texas judge is going to say. Uh, so as of now, um, DACA applicants who are um, that hold DACA, they can continue to renew it until further notice. But any new DACA applicants, so if you are, um, you know, somebody who will qualify for DACA today, you can't do it until there's going to be some other decision. So obviously a lot of our, our DACA clients are worried because uh, many of them are working, many of them are contributing to society and they really can't blend there. So what, what would be some advice that you can tell somebody who is in DACA who is uncertain about their future with this program? Well, I would find my extension if you're within your timeline of uh, five to six months before expiration, you should uh, start gathering your paperwork and file if you can because uh, who knows if we can even file extension tomorrow or next week. Um, for the rest, well, I still hope the Congress is going to come up with a law for Dream Act kids. Probably, yeah. That's still my hope. Um, I don't know if it's feasible, but um, they've been promising that for at least, what, six months? Since January, they right. promised they promise a law. Every other week, we have a new proposition, project. Right. So, we'll right now, it just remains to be seen. And of course, those of those of the DACAs that are... Um, you know, going to marry U.S. citizens, of course, you know, there may be other options for them. But right now, it remains to be seen and we'll continue to update you. So, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today are, um, you know, some green card interview tips. And as you know, no matter what you do, um, you are, whether it's an employment-based case or, uh, or a family-based case, all green card petitions are subject for interviews. So, back in the day, which is less than a year ago, uh, only family petitions, like marriage cases, and um, most of the family petitions were actually getting interviews. But now, every green card application is subject to an interview, which makes it, first of all, much more complicated, makes the process much more confusing, because even officers are not always aware of what they should be asking, what are the, some of the standards. So we wanted to kind of touch base some of the points that we've seen recently clients are getting into trouble, and give you tips how you can overcome those issues if you follow those tips. So. Let's start with uh, marriage petitions and I-864 uh, for joint sponsors. What, what, some of the, what are some of the issues that we see there? Really? So, uh, in late term, uh, when you get married and uh, if your husband or your wife is with U.S. citizen doesn't make enough money, you need to, uh, for example, for a couple, if you make less than $20,000 a year on tax, you have to uh, find a joint sponsor, someone who's going to sponsor you and promise to the government that if you become a public charge or if you receive food stamps or anything else, uh, they, will, um, they will go after the joint sponsor and get back the money that the government spent on you. So um, very recently, and it's been very, at least in San Diego, I cannot talk about other jurisdictions, but uh, they've been specifically asking cl uh, client, how do you know the joint sponsor? 
Is it uh, your family, your friend? How long have you known him? If it's a friend, is it you know him for two months, six months, ten years? Um, they are looking for. Um, I think, and I'm not sure, but I think they think that uh, people are paying their joint sponsor, and it's not uh, a kind act. It's like you're paying him, so they are trying to uh, to stop that. To stop that, which I don't know how. I don't understand why is a deep reason to that, but we've been observing that in the interviews, the specific question of who is your joint sponsor and how do you know him. Right. So, so. some of these, some of these uh, uh, marriage cases, they're trying to detect fraud. And so they determined that if somebody is willing to sign paperwork and they're not really connected to the, to the couple, maybe there's some sort of, uh, uh, you know, something shady going on. So it's just kind of like a red light. So we always tell people, try to find co-sponsors that you know, or at least somebody that you can explain in a logical way why they're your co-sponsor. Maybe it's a friend or family a co-worker or somebody, but not just somebody that you paid, because that's going to create a problem down the process, whether it's your first interview or, or your second interview. Um, another question that we see uh, that they ask, and it's a question that is on the form I-485, whether it's for uh, an employment-based or a family case, is whether you violated your, um, uh, your terms of your visa. And for example, um, you know, if you say yes, if you overstayed, and so those are a little bit of complicated issues there as to how you answer. Maybe Maria can tell us a little bit more about that, that point. Uh, so question 17 on the 45, which is a form for the green card, uh, asks if you ever violated the term of your visa. Um, we, you have to be upfront. If you, if you overstay, you have to be and say yes. Uh, however, um, we've seen, because we get a lot of phone calls on a daily basis, a lot of people call us and ask us, should I say that I got married uh, within 90 days of entering? This is a very um, tricky question that you should talk about with a lawyer uh, because it's not about getting married about, uh, within 90 days or 60 days. It's about what was your intent when you crossed the border. Uh, immigration is going to look, might look very carefully uh, when you enter and you arrive with your... Um, tourist visa, for example, did you have an intent to get married with a U.S. citizen, which would have been against your visa? Now, if you arrive in the U.S. and, well, things go smoothly and you decide to get married pretty fast, well, that's another story. So just be very careful how you fill out the question 17, uh, because by being too upfront, you might just bring red flags that don't really exist. So uh, be careful to um, talk with a qualified lawyer. Right, because you know, some of the, the way you answer those questions can trigger more investigation for no reason, specifically with the question of overstay. And there are some instances where overstay is not an issue, but you need to know which ones are those instances. Another thing that we've seen is questions about arrests. So as you know, uh, certain arrests and, and criminal offenses can uh, be a problem for your green card. And so therefore, we, we highly recommend anybody who's going through the green card process, whether it's employment or family, to do a full uh, criminal background, uh, DOJ and FBI, and it's you know it's it's not a complicated process. You can do it before the interview, and this way, we, when we work with our clients, we can look at that report. But I would say almost every every interview, uh, make sure you have that full DOJ, uh, FBI report because if you don't, sometimes there can be things that can be uh, discovered at the interview, and if you don't see it in advance, it's very difficult to deal with it. It may be already too late at the interview. 
and sometimes can result in denials or even arrest at the interview. So make sure you have full DOJ, FBI uh, uh, criminal reports done before you, you actually attend the interview. And, and any attorney can help you with that. And again, uh, um, at the end of this, uh, or throughout the, 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 the stream, we will answer some questions, and you can always make an appointment to consult with us, whether it's the first time you see us or second opinion, we always do that. Please, Marie. Uh, also, a new trend uh, we've observed is uh, in California, you get your uh, report from the Department of Justice, uh, which is not available in other states, but in California, we can get it from the Department of Justice. And many um, now, uh, the immigration here in San Diego has decided that just provided your uh, the criminal record from the Department of Justice is not enough because very often, sometimes, and we've observed that more and more. The Department of Justice doesn't keep a record of dated, so it might show that you are arrested and charged, and then there is no disposition. So it brings a lot of problems. That's also why you have to have your, uh, your report before your interview, because it brings a lot of problems, because they don't know if you are charged, so you have to go to the DA, to the judge, and usually you have 30 days only if you get a request for evidence, so it gets really complicated. Um, we used to be lenient and told the client, well, if you feel like filing your case without DOJ, just do it. At this point, I don't think we um, ever right. recommend that or even allow because uh, it's extremely uh, dangerous uh, exactly. to go for the green card with naturalization. It's always better to be informed as to what, uh, you know, what you have in your, in your criminal record file before you go to the interview and uh, instead of being surprised there. And again, I see a lot of questions are coming up. We'll answer them in a second. Um, another interesting thing is about uh, public assistance, public charge. You know, as you apply for a green card, if you take any benefits from the government, food stamps, uh, you know, child insurance, uh, things like that, that could be a bar for your green card. Well, now there's some additional changes that could make it even more complicated if you've done it. And Marie, what are some of the new things that we've seen that are that are mentioning? Uh, so. Trump is uh, right now reconsidering what is a public charge. He's going to change the definition of um, what is a public charge. Uh, from what we heard, he's going to... Um, so, as Jacob said, public charge right now is uh, food stamp, social security income, or um, stuff like that, like people who, who are uh, being helped by the government. You are not allowed to receive food stamp if you have a visa, or a green card, this is forbidden. Only US citizens are allowed to get food stamps. Only US citizens are allowed to get social security income. If you get it while on green card, you're gonna have a lot of problems uh, when you get naturalized or... Um. So, Trump wants to expand uh, what is a public charge and he wants to include, for example, Obamacare. Why? I mean, Obamacare is a system. You go through Obamacare and they give you what insurance you qualify for. They want to include that as a public charge. Um, again, it's in the system world. We're going to say uh, children, health insurance. Um, why? Um, I mean, Obamacare, you have to have health insurance, so it's kind of a cycle. Um, so we're looking on how they're going to redefine a public charge. What is a public charge? And believe me, they're going to be very bad consequences if you ever received a um, public charge. Right. Again, things that could re result in denial. Mm -hmm. Another thing we've seen they, they are concerned is, have you lied, concealed, or misrepresented any information? And again, it goes back to when people, like when you come to uh, and enter the border as a visitor, you, you, you state something at a point of entry, yeah, I'm coming just to visit. 
I'm just coming to uh, you know, see my sister, my brother, or whatever. And then when you come as a tourist, you change your status and you become a student, or you marry somebody. Well, those things now could be used against you in the interview, because they're going to say, wait a minute, we have records that a year ago, two years ago, you told us that you're just going to be a visitor, you're going to go to Disneyland or to Vegas to gamble, and now you're married, or now you're doing something else. So those things could be an issue, and people can start being charged with misrepresentation. And we've seen things that are happening right now. So uh, be aware as to, um, as to what you tell them at the border, and, and keep things short, don't reveal too much information, because the more you say, the more they take from you at the port of entry, or, or any other place that, um, uh, you know, documents that kind of info can be used against you afterwards uh, in, in immigration proceedings and immigration interviews. Do you want to add anything to this point? Well, be careful when you, uh, it's called a DS-160, when you apply uh, for visa at a U.S. consulate, you have to file a form. The DS-160, they ask for all your employment everywhere where you lived. They've been actually going back to the DS-160 you submitted 5, 10, 20 years ago, and they're going to look... What did you say? Where did you live? What did you say you work? And then they're going to match their record. Did you come as a B2 and you say you live in America? You're like, you're getting a, mm. you're getting a fraud uh, in admissibility right off and you're going to have 45 days to do whatever. Uh, which is hard to fight. Which is very hard to fight in 45 days. Um, or, yeah. So be, uh, be also careful what you write on your DS-160 when you apply for a visa at the consulate. Right. So, as a whole, we see a lot of changes in those regular interviews. They become much more, uh, more tough, they, much more, they go into more detail, um, they can look at uh, people's appearance, they can make assumptions, because remember, before, um, especially those employment interviews, they, there was no interview, so they would look at the paperwork, they would see if somebody has a degree, if they work somewhere, they'll just approve it automatically. Now, you know, you can say something in the interview that is not going to look good, and they, it, it will open an assumption of fraud, they're going to investigate. So uh, we've seen a very, very complicated uh, turn of events, and we're really preparing our clients for interviews uh, as if we're going to court. Uh, Marie, what are some of the things we've seen that are happening? And then we're going to go into questions. Well, for, uh, for employment, uh, it's a very complex subject. Uh, and officers, they're trying very hard, and uh, they're trying, but they don't understand most of the visa, H1B, TN, E2, they don't understand much. So... It's very difficult to deal with them uh, between the officer who is overzealous and wants to find every little detail of the all your stay that if you ever overstay one minute in the past 20 years to the person who like understand nothing and just look at your last I-94 and don't understand anything. Uh, so it's been um, sometimes very challenging and you have to go, have a, go with a good lawyer because I, I've had a client come from other lawyer who for example, he was an EB1A, so he had extraordinary abilities. Uh, and the officer started to ask, where is your affidavit of support? We talked about that, the IH64. However, you don't need an IH64 when you have an EB1A. So it was a self-petition, and EB1A doesn't require affidavit of support. The lawyer didn't stop, and he opened problems, and we got RFE after RFE for nothing. Like, you should have just stopped, uh, because you don't need an affidavit of support. So, right. just because they don't know, and it, it's okay, they don't know, but they need to be educated. Um, they are still very untrained, and uh, hopefully with time it's going to get better, but for now, uh, make sure you go with a uh, you know, right. skilled lawyer. So again, the, it, it, it's just to show that things that are happening at the actual interview, 
can change the course of the case. So if an officer determines that they pick on something that you said or, or they look at the paperwork and they decide that something is not right, that can change the course of the case right there at the interview, which wasn't the case before, especially for employment-based cases uh, that typically were almost approved automatically once they got the, uh, the, the paperwork. So preparation for those new kinds of interview is really essential right now. And we are you know, obviously studying and improving our process and how we are um, uh, educating our clients and how we are uh, working with our clients and how we conduct ourselves at those interviews is going to be really important. So let's take a look at some of the questions because I know you um, you wanted to ask some of those. Uh, let's see here. Okay. All right. So let me pull some of those questions. Um, so we have, uh, let's say hi to, uh, to Upi, to Mila, to Edmundo, to Monica Rodriguez. Ryan is in the house. Uh, Monica is asking how long it's taking at this time to get approval on I-601s. Uh, about a year, right? So uh, we've seen about a year plus on 601, 601As. Um, yeah, it's about a year. Um, we don't think there's going to be any uh, anything to make it faster. And again, now is the time to ask your questions. And even at the end of the stream, when we're done, we'll continue to answer those questions on that uh, uh, on that post. Uh, Amara, uh, Joy is asking. Um, um, oh, she just says hi. Hey, hi. Mitch is saying hi. Yari Tamao is saying. Hey, can you help with me with my husband immigration case? Absolutely, Ali. So if you need help, just uh, um, uh, send us a message, and I'm also going to put my uh, my email address here, and uh, it's, you can actually send us an email if you if you need assistance. And again, we're open for consultations. And uh, here we go. So we definitely can help with your husband. Meha Jani is asking, what is the average amount of investment needed for an E2? Um, I mean, again, there's no set amount for an E2 investment, but we always recommend at least 100000 And again, it depends on where you are, which state, um, things like that. Meha Jani is asking, my husband is looking to create a business within San Diego, within health and fitness. Can I qualify under the same visa and still work and educate myself? For sure. Your husband can get an E2 as a principal, and you can get an E2 as a wife, and you can get a work permit, and you can go to school and do whatever you want. So... Uh, if you are watching this now, send us a, uh, a direct message or email me and you'll get a special prize on your E2 visa just because you're watching us live. Joel is saying, hi, hi Joel. Blush, please tell me how much time to approve F2B category visa while petitioner is a green card holder. Um, I think it's about two years plus, right, for uh, F2B, for a green card holder, for a spouse. At least two years. Yeah, at least two years. Uh, hello, Ahmed Yunus. I have been waiting for administrative processing over eight and a half years. Any advice? Well, unfortunately, some of those cases take forever, especially from certain countries. Uh, because this is very case-specific, um, I encourage you to send us a private message, Ahmed, and we can definitely take a look at it. We've done quite a few work with embassies all over the world to push those admin reviews and with Washington. Again, every case is different. But again, send me a private message. And it's very important for you to understand that we're doing this as a public service to you guys because you follow us on Facebook and and and, uh, and some of you are our clients. We are not your attorneys, and uh, please understand that uh, we are not providing legal counsel. This is just general information. 
But Ahmed, please send us a message and we'll, we'll be definitely happy to help you. Um, Blash is saying the priority date is September 2013. Again, it's a case-specific request. We, we'll be more than happy to look at it. If you send us a, a private message, we can take a look at it. Again, there's a visa bulletin. And in the visa bulletin, there are different dates. And based on that date, it, it depends how long you have to wait. Uh, thanks, Meha. I'm more than happy to help you. And I remember you just put in the title, Facebook Live Consultation, and you get a, a special pri uh, prize. Monica, oh wow, what happens after you pass the f one year mark when it's I-130 I was processed? Does it just get canceled? Well, it's, it's important for you to keep your I-130 alive, and there's a way to ask for them to extend it so they don't cancel it. So that the, usually the NVC will send you an email to let you know that the, it's going to expire. There's a way to uh, uh, to keep it alive. Any other tips on that, to keeping the I-130 alive? Uh, um... You have to call the NVC. There's a phone number. Call it on... Um... The best time to call is like very late at night around 10 p.m. Pacific, so 10, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you call them and just uh, give a phone call and it's gonna keep your I want to say you're alive. You just have to contact NBC once a year and then it, you'll go back to one year on your I want to say. Yeah. Uh, for some cases, you have to email your NBC. So I don't know where you're from, uh, but give a phone call. Uh, they are very, very helpful. Yeah. Uh, just, but make sure you, uh, Call them before the I-130, uh, before, not the I-130, but before. You look at the last time you contacted NBC, and then within one year, you have to contact them again to keep your I-130 alive. Right. And again, if you need help with that, that's what we're here for. Uh, Dashmore says, hi. Hi, Dashmore. Dele uh, Eribo, if you want to apply for EB-5, but you're not, you're on OPT STEM and only have six months left, would it be possible to stay past the end of date? Uh, no. So EB-5, the first step takes about 14 months at least. And so you have to find either you have to go back on F1 or find another status. I would just recommend for you to go back on F1 if you can for another year. Uh, right now, you know, EB-5s, uh, we're waiting for a September uh, extension, hopefully. The future of this program is uncertain. So if you are ready, do it now. And again, daily, because you're watching this, this broadcast, you get a special uh, free consultation on EB-5, which typically we charge. And I'll be more than happy to kind of walk you through the process and outline how it's going to work. But now is the time to become an EB-5 uh, applicant because once you're in there, if they change the law, you'll still be safe. Uh, Mila, how are you, Mila? Uh, Mila has been amazing. She's been following us for years. One of our uh, dedicated followers from the Philippines. You're amazing. Uh, thank you, Blash Blash. Uh, Meha, can my husband and I anticipate an E2 visa by June of next year? Should we work with your offer now? Of course, absolutely. Uh, right now, we are working with uh, the London U.S. Embassy, and they'll be very cooperative with us. We have quite a few cases there. So if you start now, I anticipate that uh, probably by early next year sometime, uh, maybe by, by April, you should be able to get it done. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Just send me an email or send us a private message on the Facebook page. And thank you for following us because we don't take it for granted. Monica, thank you for much. Dale, thank you as well. And again, those of you that catch this... Um, stream not live because those of you guys that are here live I'm, we're going to know if you're live because there's a special red notification but those of you that are going to watch this in an hour or two or tomorrow you can continue posting your questions and we'll continue to answer them on the same thread or you can just send us a private message and we'll continue to, um, uh, to answer Marie had something to say about the fires uh, the wildfires in California and how, the, how is that affecting immigration why don't you kind of share with us and then again any other questions we have Five minutes le left on the live stream. We always keep it 30 minutes. 
to respect the time of the attorneys and also your time. But remember that you can also, um, uh, we have, um, uh, I'm going to butcher that name, Ogenero. Did I say it correctly? Ogenero? Erivode. What happened when your case is pending and you're no longer with the, with the man? Well, if you're no longer with the man, there had to be a good reason for it, right? What did he do to you? Did he do something bad? Anyway, um, but aside from the fact that he's not a good man, if you're no longer with the man, if it's a first interview, so if you're doing a 45 adjustment and you're no longer with your spouse, the case will not be approved. It will be, it will be denied unless there is an abuse, or you know what, even an abuse, it's going to be very difficult in the beginning to do it. If you have your second green card, if you move to the second stage, and you're no longer with that person, then there's a way to save it either by uh, getting divorced or if there's a, you know, any other uh, abuse cases. But if it's the first, right, Marie, if it's the first 45, if you're no longer with it together before the interview, it's very difficult to save it. Yeah, we usually send our client and uh, they do requests for an abeyance for one year and uh, because right. very often there is cases of abuse, serious abuse by the U.S. citizen, right. which gives us time to file a VAWA for a victim of uh, abuse woman. Correct. Does uh, it make sense? You know, we've been very successful. Yeah, so, so basically what Marie said, that's true. So if you're no longer with a man and there is an abuse in the relationship, then there is a way to save, to save the case. And again, if it's a case-specific question, which I think it is, just send us an email or send a private message in, in the Facebook and we'll respond to you immediately. Uh, we're going to say hi to Hilda, Hilda Orzel. Thanks for watching. And we have a Gaspar Silva who has a question. My father put papers um, 15 years ago. He's an American citizen. I don't have, um, you don't have anything. So uh, again, it depends on the priority date. You, you know, it looks like you don't have any action on your case. Many times when, in those old cases, um, it could have been a situation where the case, where the petition is, is closed because there's no activity. So I highly encourage you to look at the case number and contact immigration and the NVC to see if your case is, is no longer active. Because if, you're not, if your case is no longer active, it's, not gonna, it's no point for you to wait 20 years or whatever it's going to take. You really have to check on the status of your case. So Gaspar, um, maybe you can tell it to him in Spanish because I don't think he understands English. Can you say it in Spanish, Marie? You speak Spanish, right? Marie speaks Spanish and French. Unfortunately, I speak only Russian and Hebrew, so uh, uh, yeah. But you can go on the visa bulletin, uh, type Google visa bulletin and look uh, what is your priority date. Look at right. the date for a, a child of a U.S. citizen. Uh, right, it takes a long exactly. time. Exactly, look, look at the date. Mm -hmm. Monica has another question. Another question is for uh, your cousin. My cousin brother was in the process to get his visa by way of his mother. His I-130 was approved, and she needed to send only uh, uh, financials. Unfortunately, his mom passed away in July. What happens to his case? So, you know, uh, it's a good question because there are some cases where, Monica, you can, you can, you can put a substitute sponsor. There's an act that came uh, several years ago. It's called the Substitute Sponsor Act. And so he may still be able to save his petition by using a substitute sponsor, which could be a, a brother, sister, a parent. It depends on the case. I highly recommend your cousin to contact our office so we can determine whether a substitute sponsor can be applied, right? And that's a very good option because most people don't know about it. Yeah, you have another one thirty approved, so you can reinstate your, your... It's called a humanitarian reinstatement. You're going to beg immigration to accept another uh, financial sponsor than your mom. It can be a brother or sister um, or an, uh, your father, the, the father of this person. 
Uh, we've been very successful, uh, but uh, to tell you in advance, to reinstate the R130 is going to take two, three, four, five years. Right. So it's worth it. We've only had success with that. Um, exactly. We bring back people because your R130 is already approved. If it was before, um, if she had passed away before the approval of the R130, uh, it's right. almost impossible. But So there's a way to save it. That's the, that's the bottom line, Monica. So please get in touch with us and we'll help you. Hilda Orzel has a question. Hello, Hilda in the Philippines. And Marie, you, uh, you know, Marie is married to a Filipino person. So, you know, we, ha we eat a lot of uh, lumpia here because of Marie. I wish. <laughs> Good morning here in the Philippines. I would like to ask if my husband can apply a petition here in the U.S. because his case can't travel alone because of his health conditions. So, your husband is a U.S. citizen, my understanding, and he wants to file for you, the Filipino spouse. He can do that and it's doable, but we ha he he's going to need to prove domicile in the U.S. at some point. So there are ways to prove it, and you, probably you have to consult with an attorney, but the, to answer your question, yes, if he's a U.S. citizen and he wants to file for you while in the, while in the Philippines, he can still do that. Oh, Julie Gordoni is here, our favorite client, Julie. Bonjour, Julie. And Julie's asking, when will we have to think about our E2 renewal before expiration of the first one? Um, typically, Julie, again, Julie has been a client of ours and an amazing E2 applicant. I would, we usually recommend clients to come to us at least eight months before it expires so we can have enough time to discuss and plan the, the, the case. So I would say about eight months before the, the end of your case, come to talk to us. And, uh, and we, all, we usually say um, two years before, at least talk about it so we can tell you if your case is good. Two years before it expires, if it's a five-year five year E2 visa, do a case audit so we can, you have two years to fix it. But eight months before it expired, come to us so we can help you renew it. And we wish you all the best, Julie, because you're amazing. We have a great business, so I don't think you're going to have fun renewing it. Exactly. Mukhtar is talking, hey, sorry, guys, join you now. So I don't know the topic. Can you please help me with the topic? So we talked about many things. We talked about changes in immigration, the DACA. We talked about uh, more complicated matters in green card interviews. We talked about Trump and how amazing he is, uh, all these things. But you can ask your immigration question. Even if you missed it, remember, the live stream will end, and it's, it's going to be a replay. So you can go back, scroll back, and listen to the whole thing from the beginning. So you didn't miss anything. And the fact that you're here live, Mokhtar, is amazing, because I can actually welcome you and say hello. Meha, is, uh, you have a question, uh, uh, as a final question. Do you happen to know if I study with the U.S. as a spouse of my husband, whether I qualify as a U.S. student or am I still considered an international student. So, if your husband has a student visa, you are his wife, you're an F2. So, if you want to be a student, you have to have your own visa. Alright, that's how it works. Gaspar, thank you, thank you. Dale here is, how viable is the change status to H-1B under H-1B cap exempt institution with a, with a, with a few months left on OPT STEM? If it's a cap exempt, if it's a cap-exempt institution, uh, if you have a few months, I think it's very doable, right, Marie? We need a couple, we need at least 45 days to do it because we need time, we need time for the LCA. Uh, but make sure that it's... We need to determine that it's truly cap-exempt. Some people think it's a cap-exempt, but it's not. So if it's truly cap-exempt and we verify it, you have time. Yeah, but, and I see your OPT STEM, so you're probably some kind of engineer or like very yeah. technical, so it should be a smooth, you just should pay, be, you should pay be for smooth. Processing. you're going to have to pay probably for payment processing. Exactly. Just like I said, email, send us a message, we'll review it, and we're more, more than happy to work with you. And again, mention the live stream, 
to get a special surprise. Monica, awesome. I'll have her contact you. Perfect, Monica. You're, you're even more awesome than this. And then uh, Julie, thank you, Julie. And then uh, Meha, last final question, and then we're going to end the stream because 30 minutes and we have, to go to we have to go back to work. Our clients are waiting. And again, guys, keep posting your questions. We go back to answer me and Marie. And um, last question of May. And does the U.S. Uh, frown on bringing newborn children from the U.K. to the U.S.? It does it look negative to the application? No, it, no, of course not. As long as they're born in the U.K. and they can fly, you can, fr you can travel, no problems. As long as you have authorization, if you, the dad or the... Correct. If you can legally come, bring them here... You have authorization from the person staying behind. Exactly. If you can bring them legally, you can, you can come there, no problem. Again, Matt, make sure you send us an email, and I'll put my email again here, and I'm more than happy to help you with your um, E2 case, especially with London. We love this embassy, one of the best out there. Here we go. And once again, I want to thank you for watching our live stream, both for myself and from attorney Marie. We're going to do it every week, as long as we're healthy and able to do it. And, uh, and if not, we'll bring the computer home and we'll do it from home. But anyway, thanks for watching. And again, what we want from you to do, the ones that are watching the live stream, make sure you share it. There's a share button at the bottom. You can share it so everybody can see it, your friends. And if you can put a heart, there's a heart right there. You can put some hearts in there. And we'll continue to do that for you guys every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Pacific time, our immigration live show, Ask an Immigration Lawyer. Both Marie and, and me are, are thankful for you. Karthik, um, let's see, last question, I promise. Uh, terminated May 19, he got new admission. He was thinking to cross the border when he heard the new rules there. So he has an international student. He, his service terminated on May 19. He got a new admission. You mean he has a new service? Um, well, that's a very complicated uh, matter. And uh, I... You're doing... Yeah, right. you, can try, you can try a phone reinstatement if it's been less than five months of uh, overstay. Uh, if you have a good reason why uh, he lost his, um, his, his service in the first place, was it a mistake from the school or was it like he messed up, he didn't attend school? That's, if you have a good reason it was the school messed up, you can uh, try reinstatement. Otherwise, yes, the new rule, the new memo, you start uh, August, well, what day are we? August 9, he's going to start accruing unlawful presence, yes. Tomorrow. So tomorrow is the last day for students to accrue unlawful presence. Mm -hmm. And we've done a video on this in our YouTube channel. And we talked about it in the live stream last week. So go back to our live stream last week. And you can hear about the changes for students. Anyway, guys, thanks for watching. Peace and health and love from San Diego. And we'll see you next Wednesday. Right? Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ask My Immigration Lawyer podcast, the show that's dedicated to answering your immigration questions. Simple as that. See you next week for another round of questions and much needed answers.